The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Newt News. This is episode eight, and it's going to be a super exciting special episode today. We're going to have Katie Wu from The Athletic on for the show. Katie's currently with the team down in Jupiter, uh, watching spring training, and we're just so excited to have her on. So be sure to check out her work with The Athletic and follow her on Twitter at Katie J. Wu. All right, guys, let's get to the show. All right, welcome to the show, Katie. Um, to, for our viewers to get to know you a little bit better, we have four quick hitters, just um, fun baseball-related questions. Um, so the first four things are your favorite all-time Cardinal player, uh, favorite current Cardinal player, favorite team that's not the Cardinals, and your favorite player to watch that's uh, not affiliated with the Cardinals? Okay, good question. So my favorite all-time Cardinal? I think, okay, so when I answer these questions, these are coming from like before I took this job, right? Because, you know, once you take this job, you kind of lose favorites, you lose team affiliation. Um, Pretty much all you root for is time of game and no injuries, right? So I think before Mm -hmm. I took this job, my favorite Cardinal was Albert Pujols because I I mean, I grew up in in the West coast and I was pretty used to seeing prolific home run hitters with Barry Bonds, but Mm -hmm. the older I got, the more Albert Pujols was still in the game. And I know he was with the angels for so long, but to me, every time I saw him, I thought of the Cardinals. It's a, I feel like Cardinals right now. Um, But that is not a reflection of the clubhouse really. I think the Cardinals clubhouse is super professional I love the job. They make it so easy to have conversations. They're always understanding. Um, like for example, I this happened the other day. I told Nolan Arenado I needed him at any time in the next three days. And today he came outside. He was like, we're supposed to talk. And I forgot that we had set that up, but he didn't. So that was stuff like that is pretty cool. Um, so no favorites in the clubhouse, but that doesn't mean that they're not, you know, mostly professional and, and easy to work with. And that was what my favorite team growing up. Was that the next one? Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was it? What was the question? It was just like favorite team outside the Cardinals. Okay. Uh, my favorite team growing up was the giants. Uh, you know, my dad was an A's fan for super long. And when I grew up, I grew outside right outside the Bay area, but he was like, why don't you choose? I think he was really trying to push me in the A's direction at that time. Tim Hudson, Barry Zito, Mark Mulder, and I could not care any less because Barry Bonds was any home runs yeah. into the actual ocean. And when you're six and seven years old, that's what you care about. Now I, I really enjoy the pitching side of the game. And it makes me wish I had thought more of that A's big three at the time instead of being like, who cares? But I guess it worked out in my favor because Tim Hudson and Barry Zico did become giants at some point in their careers. Um, last one, remind me. Uh, favorite player, like just all time, unaffiliated with the Cardinals. Oh, uh, my favorite player growing up was JT Snow, played first base for the Giants for a very, very long time. I actually, this is, it wasn't even like a cool obsession. It was kind of a crazy obsession I had with him as a kid where I had every single one of his baseball cards. And I'm pretty sure I still have that collection in my, um, like my childhood bedroom at my parents' house, but I loved him. I thought he was like the most amazing player in the world. Don't ask me why. Just really thought he was great. That's awesome. 
Uh, so we wanted to get into this a little bit. We wanted to ask you what your favorite part of being at spring training is. Um, oh, my favorite part about spring training is nothing about baseball, although I do really love it. The food scene in Jupiter is ridiculous. I've had to really exercise a lot to make sure that I'm not like getting carried away. But spring training, I think, is really fun for me because it represents so much of what baseball is about. There's the optimism. You know, you just went through a, a dreary winter. I'm not a cold weather person by any means. So you get out. The sun is shining. Fans are excited. Guys are excited to be back. You know, the it's it's new. The opportunity is is out there, especially for teams like the Cardinals who figured to be good every year. I feel like every year yeah. when the Cardinals kick off spring training, the excitement is like, this could be the year. But something that I think is really underrated about spring training, and if you're a fan of the Cardinals and you ever want like an unparalleled up close in person, up close in person kind of vision of how baseball is really done, the first two weeks before spring training games start, workouts are all on the backfields. And the Roger Dean Sports Complex has six fields four in the very back. And that's where a lot of the players do their drills. They do their live VPs. They do fundamentals. They practice all those crazy plays that you see during the game. And it's completely free to go there. And you were really like, there's only a chain link fence separating the field and the concourse where the fans are allowed. And you can hear so much. When I watch live VPs, I can hear the reactions that Adam Wainwright has when he gives up a home run in Nolan Arnato. I can hear what the guys are talking about in terms of picking up on pitches, um, what they're seeing, how a slider is moving, if the fastball is cutting, things like that. The real-time conversations, you can hear it because you're so close. That kind of stuff, I think, is it goes down to what baseball is really about, the little things that get lost and all the, the glamour of the regular season. And to me, I really, really enjoy it because even though it's only two weeks, it reminds me that baseball really is a simple game when you think about it. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, can you talk us through like what your typical day is when you're down in Jupiter, Florida, just covering the players and uh, being around around them all day? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. I was just talking about this with uh, a couple of people in the organization on how spring training is kind of the exact opposite of how we live our lives. Um, usually in the regular season, we're all kind of night owls, but in spring training, uh, the clubhouse opens at 8 a.m. every day. So I usually get up, unfortunately for me, between five and five 30, try to get a workout in. And I try to get to the field between seven 45. And sometimes it's right at eight and you go to clubhouse clubhouse is open for an hour. And that's kind of like the free for all period where if you see a player in the clubhouse, as long as they're not eating or, you know, doing, if they're, if they're like sitting at their table, talking to their teammates, you kind of don't want to bother them, but if they're at their locker, it's kind of fair game to go and set up some interviews. It's your best time to really set things up. It's not your best time to talk because no one wants to talk that early in the morning. Um, and I can respect that. I too don't really want to talk that early in the morning, but that's where we get our kind of first look at the lineups, who's available. You know, if there's any kind of injury updates we'll get tipped off about then we'll do Ollie's post or pregame session about an hour after. And that takes place on the field at Roger Dean in the dugout. So we'll go there, talk to Ollie for about 15 minutes, make sure we're all caught up on the daily news. Guys are taking BP, doing their fundamentals on the field. So you usually have about an hour to an hour and a half. Between that and the game starting, I usually try to fill that up by sometimes I'll do radio, sometimes I'll start transcribing, uh, or other times I'll set up and do interviews with other people in between that time. Another thing about spring training that is kind of weird for reporters is we never see the end of the game. So especially these early games when the starting pitchers and the starters in general aren't, aren't playing the full games, they leave in the fifth or sixth inning. Well, then they're leaving to go home and we need to talk to them before they go home. 
So we end up leaving the game in the fifth or sixth inning, walk back to the practice fields, do our interviews there. And, you know, I'll usually have the game on if it's on TV, I'll have it on my computer or I'll listen to the radio, but I never actually see the relievers in the late innings. And like today, that was Zach Thompson. It was Wilkin Rodriguez. It was Jordan Hicks. Yeah. They were guys that I really wanted to see. So then you have to find them after and have them explain mm-hmm. how the start went for you. That's a little weird. After you do that, you talk to Ollie again. You do about 15 minutes post-game. It's spring, so nothing's super hard-hitting um, unless, you know, Jordan Walker does another four-for-four four day that we can kind of press him a little bit. And then you come back and you write, you transcribe, or you do podcasts until it's time to go home. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, so Jeff Jones told us about a little uh, post-game incident that happened involving Lars Newbar. So our podcast is called Newt News because we mm-hmm. love Lars Newbar. And he was doing that thing when the Cardinals clinched to Central and he was going around interviewing everyone. Um, and he told us about an incident with a lizard and Miles Michaelis. So after the fact, we found out that you might have actually had some involvement uh, with said lizard. So could you maybe go in depth on, on what happened there and also maybe provide another Lars Newbar story? Well, I'm, I'm not going to confirm that it was Lars's locker or any player's locker that... Um... I did, and I did epically fail at trying to get the lizard out of there. But yes, it is Florida. Those things are everywhere. One ended up in a locker. I volunteered to pick it up. It was a little quicker than I thought it would be. And then I dropped it inside the locker and actually complicated the matters even more. What made me nervous is the player next to this player's locker said, I give you three tries before you mess it up. And then there was a lot of pressure on me. So I didn't even make it to the third try. I uh, messed it up on the very first try. Um, but the lizard did eventually get out. Everything is okay there. Um, a good Lars Newbar story. Lars Newbar has become a media sensation, I think, both in St. Louis and, of course, with uh, Team Japan and the World Baseball Classic because it is such a cool story that he's able to represent his mother's home country. And seeing him embrace that culture this spring was so, so cool. I mean, he would have a full workout, you know, that's usually for any time from 8 a.m. to noon or 1 p.m. And he'd go out and he'd do media for an hour. And there was one media session where we looked over and he's doing it full in a traditional, the Japanese, you know, a traditional Japanese interview, barefoot sitting down in the grass. And I thought that's, this is so cool. This is a guy who's really so submerged in this culture and in trying to be respectful as possible to a, to a country that's really taking him in. And I don't know. It's it's funny because you get to see these guys so serious on the field. You see them joking around and messing around inside the clubhouse. And then you get to see moments that really, really mean so much to them like that. And I thought that was just a really cool Lars Newbar story. Yeah, that's really awesome. I'm really excited to see Lars Newbar play in the World Baseball Classic. Um, I put my little reaction thing up because I have, so, well, we'll jump ahead a little, like a lot. Um, okay, that's fine. A big detour. Um, so I personally could get used to some Japanese media around around the Cardinals a little bit more. Um, so we we're talking about favorite players earlier. My favorite player, as our viewers know, I probably people are probably getting annoyed by it, but my favorite player is um, not actually Cardinal. Unfortunately, it's uh, Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, uh, what do you think the likelihood is that the Cardinals would make make a splash, make something magical happen and bring Shohei over by a trade. I mean, that is such 
a specific question, right? Because so much of it is going to be dependent on the, the scenario for both teams. We don't even know what Shohei is going to do. Um, but for the purpose of this question, let's say, you know, that he is available to be traded. Do the Cardinals have the depth to pull it off? I think so. I think they have one of the most deep, robust farm systems in baseball. Would they want to? I mean, everyone is going to, if you have a chance to add Shohei Otani, there are 29 out of 29 other teams are going to at least, are going to look to consider it, right? But it depends on what they need. If they are so far in contention in the NL Central, but maybe lacking behind teams like the Padres or the Mets or the Braves, and they have the depth, I don't know, maybe, but it is really hard to answer that question so early because right now, I mean, they're pretty happy with their club. So those things all change. Never say never. I didn't think they were going to be in on Soto as much as they were. And then it'd been a lot more in than uh, maybe that was than I thought at the time. I also didn't think they were going to get Contreras. And I'm pretty sure I just saw Contreras leave the complex like 30 minutes ago. So um, never say never, I guess. I don't want to be a dream crusher. I don't want to bring the vibe down, but I think it was so early. I don't, I, I can't say yes. And I can't say no. It, it just depends on so many things. I mean, it's a question. The Shohei question is an obligatory one on this podcast. It's okay. Um, I get it. Yeah, we'll be we'll be asking everyone. He's super excited. But um, we wanted to rein it in a little bit back to the Cardinals. <laughs> is there anyone who's having a really strong spring that's been overlooked so far? We know Walker and Wynn have been super exciting this spring, and they've been stealing all the headlines. But is there anyone else maybe on the backfields or just uh, you know, a lower-profile name who's gotten a lot or who deserves more attention? It's funny because yesterday was the four for four game with Jordan Walker and I come in with the yeah. other reporters and we're like, we've been writing about Jordan a lot, you know, it would be great if someone stepped up and we could change it up. And then there's just simply no way. And it's weird because like Nolan Gorman had a great game, Paul DeYoung, those are guys that you want to see have success at the plate. And they did mm -hmm. that. And we're still like, sorry, it's Jordan Walker's show. And, uh, you know, Mason, Wynn, I think we, at least I, I knew, of course, that he's a very talented prospect. I wasn't expecting to see him adjust this quickly in big league camp but i mean i think yeah. we're going to be talking about him a lot he's such a good kid i mean these guys are 20 years old but they don't carry themselves that way mm. so i mean that's really stuck out to me but in terms of guys that maybe we're not talking about i think taylor modder can really swing the bat a little bit we saw him park one out at roger dean a couple of days ago he's very charismatic he actually um today the clydesdales were in town so uh, i didn't really get a lot of work done pregame because i was hunting them down and he was out there with Packy Naughton. So Packy Naughton's favorite animal there are horses. And he'd never seen the Clydesdales before. So they had some extra time. They're walking down the street to go take some pictures. And then I see the Dalmatian. And if you guys follow me on Twitter, I love Dalmatians. I especially love the Budweiser Dalmatian. That is like a celebrity to me. And I finally got to meet her. Her name was Lily. And Taylor Motter immediately jumped into action. I think it's because he has a daughter. So he's quick to, to capture these important moments and took all these photos of what has only been like the best day of my life at that time. Um, but from that aside, I think he's got some significant pop. He can play around the Cardinals like those versatile mm. players. Um, we see what Ollie Marmel does with his lineups. He likes the versatility. He likes the fluidity. And I think we're probably not talking about Taylor Motter too much because we have guys like, or Card the Cardinals have guys like Nolan Arnauto, Paul Goldschmidt. You want to see what Tyler O'Neill is doing. Contreras is exciting. Nolan Gorman's had a great spring. But as those guys kind of all depart to the WBC, like we're expecting in the next couple of days, and we see Taylor Motter a little bit more, you know, I think he has an outside chance, but a, a decent one of impacting the Cardinals this year. Yeah. And uh, in terms of other stories happening in, in spring this year, we've noticed a, a lot about Wainwright's low velocity. Mm -hmm. and, um, 
with the World Baseball Classic coming up, we probably won't see much more of him in the spring. Um, is there something Cardinals fans should be concerned about, or is it normal uh, spring stuff for a veteran, especially at 41 years old? I think it'd be the Cardinals. I think Cardinals fans could be more concerned if the Cardinals said, hey, maybe you scale it back and don't go to the World Baseball Classic. I think that the fact that they're letting him go is a sign that they trust him. And uh, the, the good news is that they were able to identify the problem, right? Look, Adam's 41 years old. When your back acts up, it acts up. It was something that was obvious even to Contreras, who was telling me that he spotted the um, the lack of motion in the left glute, left leg area in uh, Wainwright's follow-through when, when he was setting videos. Um, so it was noticeable to the staff. So that was good. I think there'd also be more concern if his velo didn't go up over his last two starts. And I'm not saying like, oh, 84 to 86, let's get after it. You yeah. can't. An 86 fastball is not going to play in the show. We know this, right? But it's a sign in the right direction. That's what Adam said too. He said, you know, if I'm out here throwing 86s, three consecutive starts, then we can start having a conversation. But right now it's about progression. It's not where he wants to be. He's not happy about it. But I think him going to World Baseball Classic is a step like in the positive direction. And them being able to identify the problem is another plus there. Of course, it's Wainwright and so much is relying on him in this rotation that I think is in a much better space this year than it has been over the last two or three seasons. But of course, I still think is the Cardinals' weakest spot. Um, so we'll see. We'll uh, we'll give it. We'll we'll know, right? We'll know in the World Baseball Classic how he's doing. I mean, there's no better way to see how yeah. a guy's ready for competition in spring than that. Um, but no, we're looking for slight ticks up in the velocity incrementally, and hopefully he can get back to those like the low 90 range, and then I think we'd be okay. Yeah, I, I love this take because I think Adam Wainwright has earned the trust of the organization. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad I haven't seen a lot of people understanding that. Like, you know, he's a he's a veteran. He's been here forever, and he definitely deserves our trust. So I love that. I love the wait and see approach. And, you know, we'll, we'll know in April. So we'll know in April, really and, right? And if, you know, he gets yeah. over there, World Baseball Classic, and it's 86, 86, 86, then, then there's the questions to be had there. But if he ramps it up accordingly, the trust, I mean, Ollie could not have been more transparent about that. He said, you know, we trust him. Yeah. He's going to get the work done. We wouldn't have sent him if we didn't know we could trust him. But he's been around the organization for almost two decades. So I think they thought that that trust was warranted. Yeah. Is there any linkage between this and his late season struggles, which were caused by that injury? I know I've seen some people tying this to that, but I've also seen some people saying that there's no connection. No. And the, the problem, I think, or the confusion is, is that at the end of the day, the topic that we're talking about is low velocity right now. And at the end of last season, yeah. we were talking about low velocity. So mm -hmm. I can understand why people would think that these two things are correlated. They're not. Um, okay. It has nothing to do with stride length this time last year it was stride length that got you know he took a comebacker off the knee didn't yeah. realize his stride length is shortened mm -hmm. this time he's just he doesn't have the the horsepower he calls it a, a hitch or a, a glitch i think what's the right word a glitch in his mm -hmm. delivery where he couldn't get his full left leg following through so different problems but unfortunately for adam the same topic that we're discussing okay that's that's really good to know yeah of course yeah, um, so that's a topic of concern on Twitter among like a lot of Cardinals fans. I've been trying to address like that a little bit, but um, people are really excited about Jordan Walker. And I know you said um, you've been writing about him like all week. So, um, but we, I think we have to talk about him at least a little bit. So, yeah, we do. <laughs> we have a question from uh, Nick on Instagram, and he's asking if it is more likely that Burleson or Walker will make the opening day roster. Oh, good question. 
I think that's, it's a little hard to lump those two together because their roles will be different, right? If Jordan Walker makes yeah. the opening day roster, he's making it as your starting everyday left fielder. If Alec Burleson makes the roster, he's making it as the bench bat. Uh, he's not going to be a necessarily late any defensive replacement. He can play there if necessary, but he's going to be that power lefty off the bench, um, assuming Nolan Gorman plays every day. So it's, that's a little hard for me to say because they might not need that, depending on how Nolan Gorman sees the spring goes. I think the it's the way that we would see Jordan Walker on the opening day roster is if he just simply outplays any of the three projected starting outfielders and Tyler O'Neill, a Dylan Carlson and Lars Newbar. And then the Cardinals, I, I guess, have a, an ideal problem on their hands because they're, they're choosing from four very talented, capable ballplayers. So I don't see Jordan Walker making this team just to sit on the bench and be used, you know, in late innings. They want him to play every day. The Cardinals have been very consistent with that with their top prospects. We, I'm sure you guys remember last year when Nolan Gorman was just unbeatable in AAA, but there was no room for him in the middle infield. And then he forced his way up and that spot opened up because of a demotion. And that's kind of how they work. They were only going to promote Gorman if he could play every day. I think that's what they're going to have yeah. a conversation about with Walker. So we'll see. I don't know, though. I will say I don't think one makes it. I don't think they both make it. Right. I think it's either one or the other. And a follow-up to that um, from Brent on YouTube. Um, he's asking who the odd man out in the outfield would be when Jordan Walker's called up. Would it be O'Neill, Newt Barr, or Carlson? In terms of starting? Uh, I think yeah. that's up to them, right? So there's a reason Tyler. they're trying Tyler O'Neill in center field. There could be Dylan Carlson being the odd one out, and they need to know that they have an everyday center fielder in Tyler O'Neill. It could be that, you know, Lars Newbar does not have the spring or – um, the consistency that they expect from him and Jordan Walker eventually wins him out and beats him out. Same with Tyler O'Neill. Um, I'm not quite sure. I think it again, will be up to them in performance. One thing that I we've learned about Ollie over the last year or so is that performance really matters. I mean, did any of us have Andre Pallante on our radar last spring? No, absolutely not. And he was amazing in the backfields that he really impressed to the point where they knew before they were breaking camp that Pallante was going to be on the roster and they didn't even know who their fifth starter was going to be yet. So that's what makes Dylan Carlson's spring to me so important. Tyler O'Neill and Lars Newbar. I mean, they, Lars Newbar was the first guy that Mo and Ollie talked about the winter meetings as being an everyday player. Seems like they're pretty high on him. Tyler O'Neill is a lineup altering player if he can stay healthy. I mean, that power and that speed, the Cardinals have a chance to have a, an absolutely lethal lineup offensively if Tyler O'Neill walks in the way that he does. They need to see consistency from Dylan, especially against uh, from the left side. That's on him. That's why his spring will be so important. That's why you're going to see him in center so many times. I mean, we haven't seen him a lot because Tyler's leaving. Uh, but I think it's Dylan Carlson's job to lose. Yeah, and we, all, we all remember uh, Tyler O'Neill's 2021. It was just simply incredible with his 34 home run season. Um, we're hoping he repeats that again this year. Um, but shifting gears a little bit, um, in terms of our bullpen, how do you think we're faring with our young arms? Um, you mentioned Pallante that's looking good in spring training again. And, of course, Zach Thompson looked stellar last year and is continuing to look good this year. Um, but do you think we currently have any weaknesses that we should be addressing uh, or could have addressed in the offseason? From a bullpen, a bullpen perspective, I don't think so. I think that's actually the biggest competition for the Cardinals right now 
because they have so many young guys, right? You have the Zach Thompson's, you have the Packy Naughton's, Jojo Romero is nasty, Cabby is nasty. Those are the lefties, right? You have Helsley. We all know what Helsley is. Geo is great. He can take the ball almost every single day for you. He's very dependable. Picks with that singer slider combo. Those are the guys you want the late innings. And then you have guys where you're not quite sure where they fit in. Drew Verhagen, Dakota Hudson, Jake Woodford, who Woodford's looked really good this spring as well, has some velocity up, changed his uh, changeup grip, things like that. And you're just kind of looking, I didn't even mention Wilkin Rodriguez, right? The rule five selection who has to be on the roster or, you know, he gets risk sending back to the Yankees. So I think the Cardinals have a really good problem on their hands because they have so much depth and it makes for a really good competition. There's a reason you're seeing guys this spring pitch in the games that they do. There's a reason why you're seeing Zach Thompson, again, another lefty when they're together because they're matching up how lefties fare against the same kinds of hitters. I think the bullpen looks really good. Uh, It's just a matter of, who's going to, what what they're needing at the right time. If you need someone with nasty stuff, you look at Cabby, who when his velo was up in the mid-90s, 94 to 96, he's really nasty. When Cabby is 92 to 94, not as effective. If you want Andre Pallante to be more effective against right-handed hitters, because he does kind of have those uh, opposing splits, then you look for his velocity to go up, which it has been before he left for Team Italy. Those are encouraging signs too. So from the bullpen, I think you're looking on those young guys. Uh, contracts are going to play. Chris Stratton, of course, Verhagen. They have contractual obligations where they can't necessarily go to the minors unless they agree to. But we've seen this organization reward young players who just go out and blow them away and claim their spot. So that is something I'm looking forward to watching over the next month to see who does that. Someone who's been on our radar that you didn't mention right there was Freddie Pacheco. We've been really mm-hmm. excited about him. Um, we wrote a piece on him earlier. We think he could be a big contributor to this team uh, in 2023. It was a little surprising to see him sent back to minor league camp so early. So how did his spring go? And do you see a way in which he contributes to this team this season? I didn't see much of Freddie Pacheco. I think he's dealing with something right now. I think he has mm-hmm. like, a, maybe he might not be throwing because I didn't see him in really any of the lives. Um, I didn't yeah. see him out there too often. So I mean, you got to be healthy to pitch, right? But that's not discrediting him. Yeah. I just think that's why he was uh, eventually cut from camp, was just because he gotcha. wasn't going to get any time out here. But no, there's a reason he's on the 40 man. There's a reason that they they gave him the invite. So we'll look for his health to clear up over when minor league season starts and maybe we revisit it. Awesome. So um, I guess shifting gears even more, um, we have another question from Xavier on Instagram. Um, He's asking if Paul DeYoung will be on the roster at the end of the year and how he's looked in camp so far. If Paul DeYoung will be on the roster, depends. Because if Paul DeYoung is right, he is a very serviceable middle infielder from a defensive perspective. And he's a guy that can go out and hit 20 home runs. He's not going to necessarily blow the average away, but that's not his his job. They were never asking him to do that. They were just asking him to hit over 200, right? They don't want to give up on Paul. The organization really likes Paul. He fits in well, but he's also, if he's hitting well and performing well, he's a candidate to get traded because his contract's relatively team-friendly. It's expiring at the end of the year. Don't know if the Cardinals have even thought about picking up the option in 2024, and he's a guy with, if you're a team looking to rebuild, that you can use and rebuild around. So that, I think, is a little bit on Paul, a lot on Paul, and a little bit on where the organization stands at the trade deadline. If Paul DeYoung is still on the team at the end of the year, that means they had a really good season, and so did he. So that's a positive way of looking at it, right? Because if I, I don't see a way where they keep him because they have so much talent in the middle and fields coming up. 
I don't see a way where they keep him. If he's struggling, I could certainly see him being traded if he's doing average to, to well. But if he is on the, the roster for the end of the year, that means he had a great year, and that's great for Cardinals fans. Yeah, I, I think it's it's tough for some Cardinals fans because of some ineffectiveness um, that DeYoung has dealt with over the last couple of years. But I know the organization believes in him, and he's made some big mechanical changes. Mm-hmm. And so I think those have yielded some pretty positive early results. So it's kind of a similar thing with Wayno, where it's this wait-and-see mode, I guess. And I can understand the, the fan frustration over that because I, I know fans have been – waiting to see that since 2019 similar to Jack Flaherty different players different Mm. scenarios of course but at some point you get tired of waiting and I totally understand that but this change that we've seen from Paulie mechanically I mean I noticed from the dugout in the backfields it is a completely different swing and I pointed out to him when I that I noticed it a huge smile broke out in his face like seriously like what did you see and for Paul Mm. who admitted that he just got too he likes to say analytically uh obsessed and kind of spiraled where he would convince himself he was making changes, but not actually making changes to have someone like me who hadn't been around in you know, four months in the off season, notice it within the first week, it goes to show that those are changes being made. So again, I get the frustration about Paul DeYoung. I'm st- I, I get why people want to move on from him, but that mechanical change seems to be legit. He's had a good spring so far. His play discipline is a lot yeah. better. He's worked some good walks. So, uh, another guy that will watch pretty heavily over the next three weeks. And he should be playing the field ideally by early next week. Yeah. You mentioned um, Jack Flaherty as well as another potential bounce back candidate. Um, I know fans have been frustrated with him and I think he's very overhated by Cardinal fans um, in a lot of ways, Uh, but we're seeing him dealing with a little bit of a calf strain. So is that a cause for concern or are the Cardinals like saying that's, that's fine. We're just giving him a day to rest. I don't think it was a calf strain. I think it was just soreness. But really, the the main reason he's being held out was because he wasn't feeling well. He was under the weather. Um, Athletes deal with aches and pains all the time. So a calf being slightly sore is not going to hold the guy out from his start. Uh, Maybe in spring training, it might just because it's spring training. You know, what's what's the use in that? But the main reason they pushed him back is because he just wasn't feeling good. He wanted to go today because he was scheduled to, he was adamant he was going today, but Ollie asked him to be honest and always made the call was Ollie's decision and not Jack's to give him one more day to hydrate just because his philosophy was, am I thinking in June when we need Jack Flaherty to be healthy, man, I wish he picked pitched on March 5th and not March 6th or something like that. No, they're not thinking about that at all. So they held him for one extra day. There's nothing to worry about there with Jack. Just was not feeling well. Yeah, that's a great reminder because, you know, these guys are people just like the rest of us. And, you know, they have normal things that they go through. I wish that's something that every Cardinals fan could know, especially when they're talking about Jack, because I feel like there's been a lot of ire where there just doesn't need to be. But, um, you know, staying with the roster projections, one more question we've been having. How is the backup catcher competition going? We know that Wilson Contreras is the presumed starter, and he's probably going to get most of the reps. But is this Andrew Kisner's job to lose? I saw the Cardinals picked up Herrera, who seems to be having a pretty decent spring. He had a nice home run today. Um, and is Herrera involved as well? Or do they want to leave him similar to Walker where he can get tons of reps, AAA? So how is that shaping up right now? That is such a such funny timing because I said today in the press box, hey, do we have a competition for a backup catcher that we're not thinking about? Because Barrera, can, he can swing it. And he's picked mm-hmm. up well. I mean, Kisner is so liked in that organization. He is so trusted. The pitchers love how well he prepares. Uh, I mean, he catches almost every single one of Miles Michaelis' starts for a reason. 
Yeah. But you also have to hit, right? So I think if Barrera continues yeah. to get the cover off the ball, then it's kind of a legitimate conversation. It seems like Yvonne Herrera is dropping a little bit in the Cardinals' overall power rankings. That's why they mm-hmm. picked up Barrera. It's always good to have a serviceable third catcher in AAA because, look, catchers get beat up. Eventually, they're going to get hurt. Um, so I, I do think it's Andrew Kisner's job to lose. But I think Barrera is right up there and kind of knocking on the door and saying, hey, don't forget about me. Is there a chance the Cardinals opt to carry a third catcher the way they did with Ali Sanchez a few years ago? I don't think so. Just based on what they would like to see from if, if they carry an extra position player, it's for offense. And I don't yeah. think Barrera, while he can hit, that matches up with someone's power like Alec Burleson's or a Yepes mm-hmm. or someone like that or a Moises Gomez. I think there's just different kinds of power plays there. Mm. All right. So we're almost out of time here, but um, we wanted to ask a couple questions about the trade deadline. So you mentioned Paul DeYoung, if he did well, was a potential trade candidate. And a lot of Cardinal fans um, have been clamoring for more starting pitching. Um, and I know I mentioned the Otani thing earlier. That's probably not happening. But um, do you think the Cardinals will go after starting pitching at the trade deadline and maybe give us a couple of names that could be interesting to look at? I don't know, guys. I get, Again, it's going to depend on the, the situation that they're in. I mean, if they roll into the trade deadline and – Miles Michaelis is Miles Michaelis and Jack is what they think Jack is going to be. Do they need to trade for an ace then? Right. I don't really think so. Um, it's hard to predict the trade deadline, especially this early. For example, the Cardinals were not planning on trading Harrison Bader. They did not think they thought they were done after Quintana. They were poking around, but they thought that was it. Harrison Bader became available within the last hour of the trade deadline. And next thing you know, he's a Yankee. So it's hard to predict the trade deadline on July 31st or August 1st, whatever day it lands on. It's nearly impossible to predict the trade to uh, predict the trade deadline on March 5th. So um, with starting pitching, uh, do you think they could be in on any of the big free agents? Because um, they only have, I believe, Stephen Matt signed on for the next uh, for 2024. Again, it depends on performance. I mean, look, Miles Michaelis enjoys the Cardinals. He enjoys Jupiter. He lives here, but there are plenty of other teams around Jupiter that train in the spring. He's due for, he could extend, you know, Jordan Montgomery is probably going to test the free agency waters. He's a Scott Boris client. That's what they do. That's what Scott Boris really encourages, encourages them to do so they can see their market value. Uh, Jack Flirty could be open to an extension. I'd really honestly think that that is the last thing on his mind on what he's going to do after this season because he wants to pitch so badly that he's not really thinking about what's going to happen next year so it depends on the extensions they agree to it depends on their guys in triple a you know what gordon graceffo looks like can they figure out dakota hudson can they figure out guys like you know what does tink hence look like things like that again free agency will have a much better idea of what that's going to look like six months from now Right now, I think the Cardinals with this five, the five that they have presumed starting, that's pretty much what you're going to get, and you roll with it from there. Yeah, I think we have a really solid, like solidified starting five. And I think if everyone's healthy, it it could be really awesome. Now, of the three that you just mentioned, it sounds like Montgomery and Flaherty and extension probably isn't in the works right now. But with Michaelis, I've heard some rumors surrounding him this spring. Is there a chance he signs an extension before opening day? 
I mean, you can never say never, right? But his mindset right now, of course, is going to be the Cardinals, but it's going out to play for Team USA. I mean, yeah. Miles Michaelis loves America, you guys. Yeah. He loves America, and this is like the, one of the highest honors of his careers to do so. So I would never rule anything out, but I think right now the Cardinals are just focusing on, hey, who's going to make this roster, and what the heck are we going to do about Jordan Walker? Yeah. Speaking of Walker real quick, what do you think is the most impressive thing about him? He's got eye-popping power. He can hit to all fields. He's really fast for someone his size. But to me, it seems like his makeup as a person is just unbelievable. I love watching him. So what do you think is the most impressive quality about him? Jordan Walker remembers everyone's name. And that natural charisma that you see, that is not an act. He just knows how to treat people. Uh, And that is something... That kind of poise and maturity is really uncommon in people in general. For a 20-year-old star prospect, the fact that he remains so well-spoken and so grounded has really impressed me. It's, it's weird, right? Because he's 20 years old. And yeah. I feel like I'm talking to someone who is 20 years older than me when I talk to Jordan Walker. So the power the bat speed, the exit velocity, the actual speed. I know he's like 6'5", 220. He says he's more than that, um, but he's so <laughs> fast. It's the athleticism, but really it's the way that his his makeup and how well-rounded he is, that has really stood out to me. That I know that's not the answer that people are gonna be like, oh, cool, like that's, is he gonna win games? I understand like why he's so hyped as a person or as a player, but I think it's equally as important to know that when players are special, who they are, like their personality and how they treat people is also special. And he checks both boxes there. I think that's really important for the Cardinals. I mean, I think there is some correlation between, you know, how you are as a person and how you can perform. Obviously, they're they're not always together. Um, but I think that does go hand in hand, at least to some extent. And with Walker, his humility just shines through in his interviews. It's unbelievable. He, he mm-hmm. doesn't really want to talk about himself. You can tell it definitely not. seems... He addresses the press the way, you know, a 35-year-old, 15-season vet would. Yep, absolutely. I would agree. That's that's really good to hear. Um, the Cardinal way is obviously, like, a lot like that. And we've seen a lot of players um, who, who do that today, like Paul Goldschmidt. Um, and it's yeah. good to see that he'll probably fit, fit really well in St. Louis then. Um, I'd like to ask one more thing about the yeah. long-term outlook of this organization. So I know Mosellock got an extension. This is something that's a little under-talked about, I think. He got an extension, which gave some more stability to the organization as a whole. Um, and that's that's going to run for two years, right? So I know some people saw Randy Flores as a potential replacement for him, who's been groomed over time to take over the role. Are the Cardinals going to be able to keep him in the organization? He's proven himself to be a critical asset. You know, his drafting, his scouting is really impressive. His 2020 draft is shaping up to be legendary. It was so just about to bring up that 2020 draft. Keep him around. Yeah, is there a way they're going to be able to keep him around? Really great question because I, I, you know, Randy Flores deserves all his flowers, what he's done stepping into just yeah. a really unideal situation in what was it, 2015, my years, um, and taking over during that whole scandal and yeah. turning into what the Cardinals have now, which is a routinely deep farm system despite never drafting in the top 10 really it's like the best of both worlds but the cardinals organization it surprises me how moises rodriguez their assistant general manager hasn't gotten more interviews how mike gersh hasn't gotten more interviews because mo gets a lot 
because he prefers that way. The Cardinals like to have one mouthpiece, if you will, for the organization. So it's not like these yeah. guys like Gersh and, Rod- and Moises don't want to speak. It's that, you know, why why bring in more voices when Mo can address and do everything? And Randy, of course, is going to talk about the draft because that's his his baby, if you will. Yeah. But I think the Cardinals have a good problem on their hands because they have three people, not including Mo and their farm director, Gary LaRock, that have just been very impressive front office executives and have managed to stay out of the media spotlight for so long. But yes, the Cardinals will have to be very careful about not losing Randy Flores because all three of those guys could be GMs. I mean, I know Gersh is already a GM, but a president of baseball ops, if you will, at any point for any organization. And Randy Flores is no exception. Yeah, I almost don't want to talk about him because he's baseball's best kept secret. I don't want other people figuring out. <laughs> no, how he's he is. fantastic. He's very, yeah. very good. All right, awesome. Thank you so much for for coming on and talking to us. It's a uh, great conversations. Um, yeah, guys, of course. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I really look forward Thank to you the, so much again to the work that you uh, put on put out this season. Um, always on top of all the news. Hopefully, um, in like five months when the Cardinals trade for Shohei Otani, you'll be thinking of us. But yeah, <laughs> I. If they do that, I will. This will be the first podcast I go on. You have my word. We can do an Otani party. <laughs> All right, sounds awesome. awesome. <laughs> Thanks, guys, so much. All right, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for tuning into our chat with Katie Wu. Be sure to give her a follow on Twitter at Katie J Wu. She's got tons of exclusive baseball news, stuff you can't get anywhere else. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can hear us anywhere you get your podcasts. If you have any more questions for us or for future interviews, please leave them in the comments below. Have a great rest of your day.